Hey, it's Jason here. And in this video, we're gonna talk about things I would do differently if I were starting out as an acquisitions entrepreneur. I actually just filmed the full length video for you earlier today. I'm now editing the video several hours later. And before we get into the main part of the video, I wanna share the two reasons why I give the advice that I give. Because I give a number of ideas about how I would do things differently. There's about four or five different core things I would do quite differently if I were starting. Uh, startup-based acquisitions business in 2020. But the reasons why I gave this advice are twofold. One, it's about shortening the length of time from the day you start to the day you close a great first deal, right? Because the, the shorter that runway is, the less operating capital you need and thus the more likely you are to be successful. That's number one. And then number two is we're in 2020, an era of transparency, an era when people can fact check things with a couple of clicks of a, a mouse and a couple of keyboard strokes. We're in an area where somebody can literally do a background check on you for 85 cents or $1.99, a ridiculously low price. So I'm certainly a believer that in this interconnected world we live in in 2020, the things that might've worked in the past, I don't believe are, are the same now. I believe we're in an era of transparency. We're in an era where faking it until you make it is less likely to be effective than ever before. And I've, from my experiences, which I talk about in the main part of this video, I've seen that some of the things I did that in retrospect were in part done to try to create a grand demonstration of who I was and who we were. Those things, if anything, got in the way for me doing my first deal and, and it's why they're no longer something I'm doing today. I'll talk about that more in the main part of the video. But again, the advice I give in this video is really about two things. One, shortening the runway so that you're needing less operating capital to get started to sustain yourself while you're looking at deals and talking to banks and looking to get your first deal done. And then two, it's about giving you advice that's tailored to the 21st century in 2020. So with that, let's get to the main part of the video. Hey, it's Jason Rogers here. And in this video, I wanna to talk to you about things I would do differently and the things I would do the same if I were to start as an acquisitions entrepreneur. Basically, if I were to start out again looking to buy companies to create wealth, how would I go about things now with what I know now, which begs the question, what have I done? What experiences do I have? I started on this process of looking to buy companies back in November of 2018. We began by making the $1.275 million acquisition, the manufactured housing community in the state of Nebraska. We are now on the hunt, likely to close a plumbing acquisition in the state of Florida for $1.785 million here around Labor Day. And over the last 18 months, we've gone from uh, extreme bull market to unemployment skyrocketing as has recently taken place in spring of 2020. So it's been a really unique experience I've had thus far and a ton of experiences I've gained over the last 18 plus months. Notably, being in the trenches teaches you more than anything I believe you can ever find in a YouTube video, in a book, by seeking out a mentor. Those are all good things to do in my opinion. Obviously you wanna seek the right advice, but ultimately experience is literally the best way to learn. And I wanna share my experiences with you so as to hopefully help you out. So. What I would do the same, firstly, I would pick a sector or a set of similar sectors from which to make acquisitions in. I'm a big believer that makes a lot of sense. You can really learn the nuance of an industry or a set of tangential industries. So maybe you are making acquisitions within all realms of real estate, whether that's multifamily or manufactured housing or even self-storage, 
or perhaps maybe you want to get in the residential home service sector, which would include things like HVAC and plumbing and electrical. Maybe you want to get into healthcare, which would include things like assisted living and hospice and the like. Maybe you want to get into auto repair, which could include custom auto repair versus oil changes versus you know transmission maintenance and all this, right? All, all these kinds of different sectors that are available. But right, I would really think about who I am, what experiences do I have, and I would try to pick one lane to stay in. It's going to help you become a better operator. It's going to help you become better at analyzing different deals and getting good at due diligence. It's going to help you evaluate the true value of businesses more quickly. Now, that's not to say you can't learn how to value a number of different businesses in a number of different sectors. That's what Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger have extremely successfully done over the last 50 or 80 years, right? And it's made them multi, multi, multi billionaires. Sam Zell has done this. Others have done this. So it's not to say that you can't over time expand outward, but especially if you lack a ton of experience in business, and maybe if you're younger, I would really say it helps to specialize and to focus early on and to really build some, some reputation there. So I would, just as I did initially with initially focusing on manufactured housing, I would pick a lane to start. I would do that the same. Now, what I would do differently is I would build a smaller team. When I started Brighter Living, I built a really big team and I figured, hey, I'm looking to get to a billion dollar business over the next 10 years, so I'm gonna build a billion dollar type of team. And while there were certainly advantages to that, ultimately what I found is when you have a lot of people on your team, it's difficult to get everybody together. It's difficult to get everybody on the same conference call and certainly in the same room at the same time. It's difficult to really build tight rapport with a lot of different people. And it's tough to get that team to really gel in the same way that I feel you can much more easily do with a smaller team. And also, sincerely, I believe there's really only a couple of core areas where you really want to have somebody on your team unless if you're already an expert in these areas. And I would really only say there's three. There's accounting, there's law, and there's the industry expertise itself. And I believe you could really give 2% equity to an accountant, 2% equity to a lawyer, and 2% equity to an industry expert, even maybe 1%, depending, and go from there. I wouldn't build a huge team for the reasons I already discussed here. Likewise, something I did that I would not do again is I would not spend several months courting big accounting firms and big law firms. Now, there are benefits to courting those larger firms. And the benefits include things like you learn a lot about law and you learn a lot about accounting, respectively. You also practice your pitch because when you go to these big law and accounting firms, you if you do this, like I did, you will be basically sharing your investment thesis and your mission statement and your ambitions and how you plan to grow and how you plan to operate the different acquisitions you are going to make and all of these types of things, right? So there are benefits that come from courting those big accounting and law firms. But what I've seen personally is the juice isn't really worth the squeeze. You don't get as much juice from the squeeze as you think. At least that's been my experience. I haven't really seen that bankers and investors and sellers have responded all that differently to a large accounting firm or a large law firm versus a CPA or a normal lawyer. Now, that's not to say once you get into the larger transactions, I'm talking about 10 million and beyond, that having a KPMG or having a Skadden won't be helpful. In fact, it will almost be necessary in time, right? But I don't believe that you want to, as a bootstrapped entrepreneur in a startup, immediately go after these huge firms because for one, they're costly. 
They're very, very, very costly. If you're using the same law firm that Toyota uses, if you're using the same law firm that Pepsi uses, chances are you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay in the same way. You're going to be asked to pay in the same way that a Toyota or a Pepsi or a Coca-Cola is being billed at, more or less. Now, yes, you can get the startup. They, they have these different phrases and terminologies. It's almost the incubator group or their startup group or their emerging companies division, depending on the company, depending on the, whether it's an accounting firm or a law firm and how they structure you know, their different departments. So yes, you can get some discounted pricing if you do decide to work with those big top tier white collar professional firms out right from the very beginning. But I found sincerely, it didn't really impress bankers. It didn't really woo investors and it didn't really do anything except for cost me more money. That combination of a big board and the operating agreement that you have to create and all of the legal fees that goes into creating this complicated operating agreement that articulates, if this happens, then this will occur. And if that happens, that will occur. And if this and that happens, but not that, then this will occur. And 386 other variants, right? When you have this very complicated operating agreement, you have this big accounting firm, you have this big law firm, you have all of this white collar stuff before you ever actually acquire revenue, what I found is it simply put eats at profits that otherwise I would have put right in my back pocket. And so I've really learned that lesson. I'm no longer working with those huge firms and probably won't engage with them for the next 18 to 36 months as I look to scale my business. Once we have 10 or 15 or 20 million in assets under management, which I think is a reasonable goal for us to hit in the next 18, maybe 36 months, depending. At that point, then yes, I will bring those types of firms back on. But in that initial 36 to 48 month growth period, where you go from zero to say 10 million in assets under management, or from zero to 20 million in assets under management, you're making acquisitions in the one to $5 million deal range size. The sellers aren't expecting you to come to the table with a Scadden, which Scadden is one of the top law firms on the planet, right? The banks aren't expecting you to have audited financials by KPMG. Nobody is expecting it in that range of deal sizes. And you know, I know some of you in the comments are going to say, well, why don't you just go immediately do $50 million deals? And the reason very simply is because it's not that easy. Is it possible to do a $50 million deal outright? Of course it is. Anything's possible. But realistically, I think it's much more sustainably likely to be successful and much more proven to do a $1 million or a $2 million deal, then do another $2 or a $3 million deal, then do a $3 or a $5 million deal, then do an $8 million deal. And then once you build that track record, now investors and lenders see how you've handled capital. You've demonstrated yourself over a number of years. You've proven yourself as an operator. You've proven yourself to keep control of your finances. You've proven that you've been able to go through both economic highs and economic lows. After you build a several year track record after, after having done multiple deals, you're just going to be able to sit at the big boys table and actually earn your seat at that table. You're not going to have to be giving away copious amounts of equity. Look, you could do a $50 million deal, but the reality is, is after the professional fees and all the equity you gave away from investors and after the banks cranked up the interest rate on you because you're an unproven operator, you're going to make very little if any money. Everybody else is going to make money. You're going to be the one eating last. And so that's one of the many reasons I really recommend you start by doing those smaller deals. And when smaller, I mean, we're talking about seven figure deals here. We're not talking about you know, buying a used car at a, at, a, at a used dealership, okay? We're talking about doing seven figure deals here, but in that seven figure deal range, before you get to the 10 million deal size and beyond, again, I just don't see any real merit for the white collar law firms and the white collar accounting firms that are at that international or 
big four accounting firm level. I just, again, see it really as being nothing but a burning of your back pocket. So I wouldn't do that now. And I'm, and I'm not doing it. My actions are speaking louder than words with this acquisition we're likely to make down in Florida. We don't have a big law firm, an international law firm working on the deal. We don't have an accounting firm auditing the books. I have an accountant, I have a lawyer, but they're on my team. They have some equity in the deal and they're helping me do those things. Now, again, you wanna have a great internal team, right? I have a great lawyer and a great accountant. Those two, I would not be successful without them. I would need somebody to replace them if, if, if they weren't there because they're really helpful. So I'm not saying you just ignore accounting. I'm not saying you just ignore legal. I'm certainly not saying you ignore industry expertise. I have a world-class industry expert on our plumbing endeavors. He's great. He's top-notch. He's been in the business for over 40 years. He's ran companies. He's been the COO with different companies. He's just a great guy. So certainly you want that expertise, but I think there's ways to build a smaller team that's going to be less costly, that's going to actually help you get to where you're trying to go and keep more of the profits in your back pocket. Other things I would be wary about include notably analyzing your initial deals correctly. I, for the most part, got the underwriting correct on our first acquisition, though there were a few things I miscalculated. Notably, I miscalculated the true cost of labor. I would make sure my due diligence was audited by somebody who had been around the block. Make sure that you're underwriting. Underwriting is basically when you project your expenses onto the business. When you project the revenues you predict to be able to generate in this business you're looking to acquire. When you do that underwriting, I really recommend you have an accountant and an industry expert review your work and be conservative in your underwriting. Don't assume you're going to double sales overnight and cut costs by 50%. It won't happen. If it were that easy to do, the, the old owner would have done it. And yes, you're clever and yes, you have a great team, but still it takes time to transform a business. You're not going to walk in and just with your delightful smile, immediately double revenues and cut costs in half overnight. It just won't happen. So be realistic with your projections and with your underwriting so that you really know the nature of what the deal is going to put off in free cash flow. And then lastly, I would say I would be getting into a service sector as opposed to real estate to start if I were to do it all over again, which is why I'm now engaging in plumbing and potentially HVAC acquisitions. However, there certainly are pros to buying real estate first. The pros of real estate, I mean, the biggest pro of all is it's a steady asset, a hard asset that will appreciate over time. And on top of that, that hard asset is easily collateralizable. Lenders love it on your balance sheet. And so it's something that can help you procure more acquisition financing in the future. However, the cons of real estate is simply put for the purchase price dollar, it will put less money in your back pocket than does a service business. And so there's pros and cons to both, but ultimately if I had it all over to do again, I would start with a service-based business. Yes, it's going to be more operationally complex, but there's going to be more free cash flow. You're going to be more easily able to exceed that 150% DSCR debt service coverage ratio, which you really want. And it will ultimately put more dollars in your back pocket as long as you operate the business more successfully. So those are a few things I would do differently. Ultimately, I would absolutely get back into acquisitions entrepreneurship again if I had the chance. It's been probably the best financial decision I've ever made in my life. The best probably life decision. One of them, one of them at least for sure. It's been a great life decision to get into the business of buying businesses. And 
I would also say lastly, study the greats, the great capital allocators and the great investors. I'm a big, 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 big believer that you buy great companies and build a track record that you can show to individuals that have tremendous wealth or lenders that have tremendously high lending limits. And once you buy one company successfully, then two companies successfully, and then three companies successfully, once you do that successfully repeatedly, then you're going to be able to fundraise all the money in the world. That's our premise. That's what I'm doing. That's what the Warren Buffetts and the Sam Zells and the Charlie Mungers did. And those guys are multi-billionaires. And so I've really made them the idols that I look to more than anybody else. But with that, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I would really recommend that I've done that I wouldn't have done again. And I would say largely I hit on the main points I wanted to touch on here. I'm sure there's something else, but I can't think of it at the minute. So with that, I'll let you go. Thank you so much for watching. If you liked the video, subscribe, and I'll talk to you in the next one.